Hello and welcome to Radio Silence here on Radio Fodder, where we are bringing science into focus for the next hour. I'm Cade. I'm joined today by my lovely co-hosts, Kai and Kat. How are you guys going? Good. Yeah, good. pretty good. I have a definitely not weird and totally perfectly normal question for you both, which is like, tell me about just like a fun time that you bled, like bled some <laughs> blood, Kai. Um... I don't know about a fun time I bled. Probably a pretty traumatic time was when I was in primary school and went for like the double, like the one swing across the whole monkey bars. Oh, no. And I made it. Woo! And then I stepped backwards off the platform. Oh, no! <laughs> and like skinned my shin. And Triumph. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. And I've still got the scar to this day. And that was pretty, pretty bad. It was so bad, in fact, it kind of distracted me from the fact I'd also broken my arm. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. That's, yeah. yep. Yeah. Blood is distracting. Yeah. Mm. There um, you go. There you go. Fun blood facts. My, mine is also monkey bar related. Oh, I yeah. fell off the monkey bars um, in grade one and had this massive graze across my face, just missed my eye, mm. but it was like across the entire half of my face. Mm -hmm. And so uh, my parents got married that weekend <laughs> and <laughs> in all the photos they were all like, now... Katrina, turn to the right. And so just in all these photos, you only see half my face because they didn't want to have the other half. It's your good side. They want to capture your good <laughs> Pretty side. Pretty much because I had a massive, massive cut oh and gosh. Oh, wow. That's, I want to say amazing, but like probably less amazing <laughs> for little kid you. Wow. Mm. I feel like I need to stick with the like childhood activity theme on this story. Um, so one time when I was in grade one, I... I want to say I did a cartwheel, but that would be that would be generous. I tried to do a cartwheel. <laughs> the the resulting movement was, was something else. I'm not really sure. Um, I stuffed it up. I fell. I was on the grass. I want to emphasize that this was a blade of grass that cut just above my eye, very close, and I had, like, blood pouring down my face. I don't know. I still, to this day, don't know how I managed to mess up this cartwheel in grade one, fall, and cut open my face with a... I think it was a blade of grass. Maybe there was something sharper in the grass because yeah. it doesn't Sounds like feel it. <laughs> like it's a truthful. But to childhood memory, me, that's what happened, and it was very dramatic. And now I have never done You're a cartwheel. Just a dramatic since. person. Me? <laughs> dramatic? How dare you? Leave. No. Um, yeah, a little bit. Um, uh, but yeah, I've never done a cartwheel since. They're traumatizing. They're terrifying, and <laughs> you won't find me messing with them. Um, so you might be wondering, listeners, dear listeners, why we've started our show with wonderful stories about blood today, and it's because we're going to be doing a show about blood. We're going to hit you with some fun blood science a little bit later. But first, let's start off with some news. So Kai, start us off. All right. So I'm pretty excited about this story because it's it's a bit of a scandal. We'd love a scandal. Last week, there was an announcement that there'd been a discovery of a room temperature superconductor. Oh. And okay. if, yeah, Catriona is like excited because <laughs> this is room temperature superconductors are a big deal. So first yeah. of all, superconductors are materials that are, uh, conduct electricity without any resistance. Yeah. So like that's great because resistance means you lose energy mm -hmm. and you could... If you had superconducting wires, you could transport electricity without any losses. And mm. transport losses are a big, like, waste of energy, right? Mm. You know, mm -hmm. it's kind of one of the reasons why we don't put 
as like solar panels out in the desert because it costs a lot of money to get the mm. energy back and then we, we lose a lot of it. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. it's not as viable as it could be. So a room temperature superconductor would be this amazing game-changing discovery. Now, we temper this discovery a little bit by saying it's room temperature, but it's also at quite high pressure. So mm. it's at one gigapascal, which is um, 10,000 atmospheres. <laughs> Which is okay. a lot. Sounds it's about uh, it's about um, I think ten times as much as the pressure at the bottom of the deepest part of the ocean. Okay, wow. okay, That's which a lot of pressure. is a lot of pressure. Mm-hmm. But to uh, the select group of people who work in the high pressure physics community, this <laughs> is basically low pressure. So, okay. for example, like this is about a hundred times lower than the previous best low pressure, high temperature superconductor. So it's it's quite an improvement. And it's actually less than the amount of pressure it takes to make diamond. So it's about 10 times lower than that. So like... <laughs> so it's all good. And we can... Well, we can make synthetic diamonds by compressing carbon. So True. it's within industrial it's, capability. So, okay. The power. It's not the holy grail of superconductors, but it's like pretty major discovery. Yeah. Everyone's very excited. But this is where the scandal comes in because... Mm. Mm-hmm. The man at the center of this story, his name is Ranga Diaz from the University of Rochester in the United States, previously made a discovery about high-temperature superconductors that was later retracted. Okay. And the reason, the official reason why it was retracted was Mm -hmm. because he and his group had used a non-standard method for, like, doing their analysis and didn't disclose it in the paper. Right. So it's it's not immediately obvious that this is like mm-hmm. misconduct or anything. It's just that they didn't Some funky stuff. They did a little yeah, <laughs> and they didn't disclose it, and that was enough to be like, all right, look, we can't let this paper mm. be published anymore. But it gets a little deeper because um, um, so George Hirsch from the University of California, San Diego, is like it's, it's the the biggest skeptic of this guy. He's mm-hmm. he's kind of out to get him a little bit mm-hmm. because he he. <laughs> I know. I'm living for this tea. Oh, Keep I know. And this George Hirsch guy, he alleges that Diaz fabricated the results as well. Didn't just like oh. do a little bit of manipulation that he didn't talk about. He actually straight up fab- fabricated them and has written like a document with all the evidence he's found to say that this was calculated and like wow. just totally made up numbers, not measured. So there's, you know, a little bit of doubt about okay, this Rangadia okay. guy and his claims. So everyone's a little bit skeptical. Mm. And yeah, so when this with this announcement was made mm. last week, it was done at a, a conference and apparently like everyone was silent. <laughs> it wasn't like the big, you know, congratulations, this yeah, yeah. is a new discovery. Like, Everyone's like, okay. oh, okay. okay. <laughs> so it's pretty, it's pretty funny. It's not the reputation you want to have. It's in not the really. Is it? And yeah, it's amazing because if this discovery is real, it's, mm. it's going to be a massive step forward in superconductor technology. Mm. Like, as I said, it's not the holy grail, but it's probably one of the biggest advances we've had since they discovered superconductivity. So oh, no pressure on it. <laughs> Oh, on the topic of puns, I read a, a news a, like piece on this, and the title was "New Discovery Meets Resistance." Uh, <laughs> oh, I um, love psychon puns. Yeah, so <laughs> this is it's pretty deep this this plot, but we're still waiting on independent confirmation to see whether it's legit or not. And mm-hmm. 
that's also kind of complicated because they've made this new discovery. They're waiting for like patent applications and stuff to go through. They don't want mm. to be handing out free samples of mm. their yeah. new mm. magical material that, you know, is the greatest thing in mm. superconducting. That's all you've got. So it's pretty hard to verify it. Yeah. So no one really knows if this is a discovery or not yet. Yeah, golly. Um, but yeah, bit of a scandal. So that's Ooh, my news. Watch this space. <laughs> Gosh. Um, Katrina. Well, I have some literally hot news. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so a hot spring in the upper geyser basin of the Yellowstone National Park in Wyoming mm-hmm. is a thumping thermometer. Okay. I just love the alliteration of that. <laughs> um, <laughs> so at Doublet Pool, it's it's not the most popular tourist attraction when you think Yellowstone National Park. Mm, um, mm-hmm. It's it's essentially a little double pool mm-hmm. um, and it would fit comfortably in one half of a tennis court. So it's 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 not that great mm-hmm. in terms of size. <laughs> but it's cool because it cranks up the bass every cool, 20 to... Is it not cool? All right. All right. <laughs> Look, you're going to start. I'm going to keep going. <laughs> um, so it starts something like every 20 to 30 minutes. Okay. And the water vibrates and the ground shakes. So it's not, you know, one of your typical massive water mm. towers yeah. um, but it, it shakes for like about 10 minutes um, every time it shakes and a new study led by the University of Utah researchers showed that the interval between the thumping episodes uh-huh. reflects the amount of energy that heats the pool up at the bottom so it's en- uh. and also indicating how much heat is being lost through the surface oh. so it's it's literally a thermometer <laughs> um, that's so, so weird yeah so, you know, a lot of people knew that doublet pool thumps every 20 mm-hmm. to 30 minutes, but no one really knew what controlled the variation mm. like in time. And so essentially these researchers just over days, hours, years have just listened. Mm. <laughs> um, yep. And they're focused on the silence interval. And essentially what's happening is you kind of, it, it's very, very similar process in terms of the heating as the towering geysers, but Essentially, for the towering ones, it occurs deeper in the hydrothermal system. So mm-hmm. you've got, like, heat coming up, heating in the water at greater depths. And so coming up from greater depths, you have greater pressure as the water mm-hmm. is released from a smaller point. And so you have, like, whoa, massive Explosion. tower. Um, but doublet pool doesn't have that same plumbing system, so it's not happening as deeply. Mm-hmm. And so you're not getting that same sort of pressure, and that's why there's no eruption. It's just kind of like a more gentle thump, 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 thump. <laughs> but in terms of the interval between these thumps, um, they were essentially looking at, oh, what if we add heat or remove heat? And mm-hmm. they figured out that that is what controlled the variation. Um, So the distance between the interval is actually a measurement of how much heat is coming up (laughs) into the pool. Um, Yeah, so more heat, shorter interval. Mm. You get more thumps more quickly. Um, So, yeah, that's that's pretty cool. Um, And the heating rate for doublet pool specifically works out to around three to seven megawatts of energy. So for comparison, it would take about 100 household furnaces burning at the same time to heat up doublet pool enough to thump. Yeah, wow, okay, that's a lot of heat. It's a, it's a lot of heat. Um, but what's really cool is that wind affects it too, so they kind of liken it to blowing off the top of like a boiling pot. <laughs> cup yeah. of tea. <laughs> cup of tea, yeah. Yeah, because when you blow, you're like creating wind and that's that's mm. blowing the heat off mm-hmm. and that, that yep. controls the, the intervals too. So yeah. there you go, thumping thermometer. Amazing. <laughs> mm, that's very interesting. <laughs> Kate? Um, so... 
Yeah, so my new story, this one, I, I stumbled across it because it was hitting all of the queer social media pages I follow. Um, and one of them had the stunning headline that was like, in huge win for gay rodents. I think I sent a screenshot to you guys being like, this is my news story. Because honestly, I wish more news headlines were about huge wins for gay rodents. Like, gay, anyway. So, you know. The full headline was, in huge win for gay rodents, scientists make baby mice from cells of two fathers. So, as suggested by the headline, scientists have managed to make viable eggs from the cells of male mice, two male mice. And once fertilized and implanted into female mice, these eggs can actually develop into seemingly healthy, fertile offspring. So, they still need the female to, like, incubate the baby females will yep. always be necessary just putting that out there um but and actually actually the girls did it first so in 2018 there was a team of uh researchers that used eggs from two female mm. mice and they were able to successfully breed pups which then grew up into healthy fertile adult mice and at the time this same team they also created pups from two sperm, but those baby mice only survived a few days, not until adulthood, like the ones from this study. Okay. So this one, this time, yeah, they've made mice that grow up into fertile adults, which yeah. is really just important, the fertility. <laughs> oh, my gosh, it's so crazy. So this achievement was announced just last Wednesday at the third International Summit on Human Genome Editing in London, um, and a news piece was subsequently published in Nature just last Thursday. So importantly, this research itself is yet to be published and peer-reviewed. Um, this was just an announcement at a conference, which has then been published as a news piece in Nature. But the technique the technique is also a long way from being used in humans. Um, but it is a very early proof of concept of, like, an exciting and potentially, like, super useful technique. So essentially, the way that they did it, the team took some cells from adult male mice and essentially reprogrammed them to create stem cell-like induced pluripotent stem mm-hmm. cells. So you can take these cells and you can essentially reprogram them so they go back into their sort of stem cell days where they can differentiate into anything, right? They grew these cells until some of them spontaneously lost their Y chromosome, which, you know, sometimes cells do, they'll spontaneously um, express different genes. They then treated these cells, once they found ones that had lost their Y chromosome, they treated those cells with a compound called reversine. So reversine essentially is known to promote errors in how chromosomes are distributed during cell division, meaning that some of these cells are likely to end up with two X chromosomes, which Mm. they did, right? So you may recognize two X chromosomes essentially as being chromosomally female. So they took these cells, they turned them back into stem cells, they waited till they dropped off their Y, gave them a compound, messed up the cell division, (laughs) and we ended up essentially with female cells that have just like come from the male, which is crazy. So then these stem cells, these essentially female, quote unquote, female stem cells, um, the team then gave them the genetic signal that they needed to turn into eggs, Mm. fertilized these eggs using mouse sperm, and then transferred the embryos into the uterus of a mouse. (sighs) So there wasn't a huge success rate. Out of 630 embryos, only seven of them developed into pups, Mm -hmm. but those pups grew up to be adult fertile adults, which, like, yeah, the fact that any of them did Mm. is just wild and, like, (laughs) so cool to me. And, like, there are obviously, I mean, there are ethical questions about adapting this technique for humans and, you know, we're a long way, like, we're just a long way from so much here. But, yeah. yeah, It's pretty cool they can even do it. male (laughs) cells smushed together, 
you get a fertile pup that then grows up. Well, a pup that grows up to be a fertile adult, which is, I don't know, wild, <laughs> wild. I'm so here for it. I'm loving it. Um, so that's my news story. And before we plunge into a whole episode about uh, blood, I just want to remind you, you can catch any of our past episodes. Find us, Radio Silence, on Spotify. And you can follow us at Radio Silence on Twitter. So to launch us into our first song, we've got Youngblood by Five Seconds of Summer. You're listening to Radio Silence, where we're bringing science into focus here on Radio Fodder. That was Young Blood by Five Seconds of Summer, because today we're talking all about the science of blood. Cade, start us off. Yeah, blood. Crazy, right? You know what's the crazy... Well, what I think the craziest thing about blood is... What it's is it, made Kate? in your bones. Like, I'm sorry, <laughs> but that just doesn't feel real to me. Like, that's so... I thought it was weird the first time I heard it anyway. Like, it's, I mean, we all kind of know it, right? But, like, I don't know. When you think about bones, you think about, like, structural support, which is also definitely what they do. They play that role in your body. But I think, I don't know, I think it's because, like, when you think about skeletons, right, and we think about, like, the Halloween-y kind of skeletons, you think about these, like, dry Dry, things, right? You don't think about blood because you're only... You only ever really get to the point of seeing the skeleton of something that it's been like dead so long that it's mm. everything else is dried up, right? Unless so it's you're eating bone marrow. Well, I mean, or <laughs> cutting up. Cadu- There's lots of other reasons you'd see but bone marrow, but like bone marrow is like not even like blood unless it's raw. Like when you're eating it cooked, it doesn't seem like blood. Yeah, 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 yeah but yeah. it still doesn't. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> the point is. It's true. This is a true fact, (laughs) despite what, you know, it might feel within your bones. Uh, Bones make blood. Um, Turns out, so, like, bones, our blood, human blood, Mm -hmm. and and most other mammals is made in the bones. Mm -hmm. Turns out this is also weird when you compare it to other animals. Not every animal makes their blood in the bones. So, birds do. Fish make their blood in their kidneys. (laughs) frogs, the production tends to start in like the liver or the kidneys when they're tadpoles and then moves to the bones as the cells grow up. Well, if you think about it, fish and tadpoles, they're weird anyway. They breathe Mm. underwater. Yeah, (laughs) we'll get to that. So, but you know, it's kind of interesting, right? Because blood blood connects to literally everything in your body. So blood Mm. could literally come from anywhere. Like we could chuck our blood making cells wherever the heck we wanted to. So like Mm. why, it makes you wonder, like why, why did we go with bones? Like, why? I don't know. Why did you personally go with bones? Personally, I just had a good long think about it, and I'm going to give you my reasoning now as okay. to why I personally single-handedly decided <laughs> to make my blood in my bones. And everyone um, else's as well. And everyone else's, but not fish. Um, so, scientists, like... As with most things in science, like we don't, we don't know for sure. We don't one hundred percent know. We're never going to one hundred percent know. Um, but scientists currently, like the leading theory, seem to think that maybe it's because it's dark. Like the space inside our bones mm. is dark, right? Because this protects the blood or the blood generating cells, sorry, from damage. So the important cells that we care about that I'm talking about this in this scenario, we have something called hematopoietic stem cells and hematopoietic progenitor cells, which are essentially just cells that can then differentiate and turn into or produce every type of blood cell that we care about, like our red blood cells, which are designed to carry oxygen around the body. Your white blood cells are involved in your immune response. Platelets, which are, you know, for clotting. Like, these all come from these hematopoietic stem cells. Mm -hmm. And all stem cells in the body have what is called a niche. So a niche is just like an area of tissue that provides a very specific microenvironment 
in which like these stem cells, they're present in this undifferentiated and self-renewable state and the other cells in this environment interact with the stem cells to help maintain them and promote their kind of differentiation. So this niche for our hematopoietic stem cells is in the bone marrow, which is the the soft, spongy, like fatty tissue that's Mm. on the inside of your bones. So like, you know, like I said, when we think about bones, we think about that kind of hard bone, which is what's on the outside. Um, And that, but that's just the compact bone. That's only one component of bones. Mm. You've got inside this like living tissue, the bone marrow, it has like lots of blood vessels in there. It's wet. It's, you know. It, it's the niche for our hematopoietic stem cells and yeah. progenitor cells. And damage to these blood-making cells can create mutations in their genome. Mm. So these mutations, can they can kill the cells or just lead to functional issues in the blood cells that they generate. Obviously, not what we want, right? But the right conditions can help limit these mutations. And that is where bones come in. So, you know, <laughs> like I kind of mentioned, they're dark. And this is because one of the things that causes mutations is sunlight, specifically mm-hmm. UV yeah. light, right? And this isn't like, you know, brand new. We kind of, like, think about sunburn, <laughs> right? Like, we can see the sun's harmful effects on our cells, like with sunburn. Yeah. That It's just the UV light damaging the cells of our skin. Yeah. Um, and so this idea that maybe we make blood to protect it from UV, like, that idea isn't new. In fact, it was over 40 years ago that a researcher first hypothesized that blood production migrated into bones um, because when, mig- when vertebrates, sorry, migrated onto land, mm. right, because... If you think about it, underwater, the sun's rays get scattered. The light mm. is more diffuse, right? Yeah. It's still there, but it's it's not as strong. But then you come onto land, the UV, like the light is so much more direct and far more likely to cause mm. damage. Um, and so this is kind of the theory. When we migrated onto land as vertebrates, the blood-making production migrated into the bones protected from the light. But there wasn't a whole lot of, like evidence to back up this hypothesis 40 years ago. Then, in 2018, a Nature paper came out where researchers published evidence that the blood-producing cells of fish also seek sun protection. So the researchers were examining zebrafish when they discovered these little umbrellas of melanocytes covering their kidneys. Yeah, so melanocytes are essentially just pigment-producing cells, and in these fish, they form like an opaque layer over the top of the kidneys, remembering that in these fish, in in animal, sorry, in fish, zebrafish, the hematopoic stem cells are in the kidneys, yeah. not in the bones, right? So this was actually discovered incidentally, as so many things in science are, <laughs> right? And I have a quote from the first author of the paper that was like, I was trying to look at blood stem cells under the microscope, but a layer of melanocytes above the kidneys just kept blocking my view. <laughs> um, the shape of the melanocytes above the kidney reminded me of a parasol, so I thought, do they provide UV protection to the blood stem cells? Mm. So this alone wasn't enough to kind of prove this sun protection theory. So they the Researchers engineered a bunch of fish that couldn't produce these melanocytes, Mm. couldn't produce these umbrellas to see what happened. When these fish were exposed to UV radiation, the number of these stem cells decreased in the animals that didn't have the umbrellas. But on top of that, they took the normal zebrafish, turned them upside down (laughs) and irradiated them. And the same thing happened. They lost a bunch of the hematopoietic stem cells. (laughs) So all of this seems to confirm that this melanocyte umbrella was like physically shielding the kidneys from the sun's rays coming down. Wow. Yeah. So these like shade making umbrellas have been since been found in a number of other fish species from catfish to lungfish to lampreys. And the researchers noted like a similar pigmentation pattern occurring in the liver and kidneys of different species of tadpoles, Mm. wherever they produce 
blood as well. And so the interesting thing is, right, once tadpoles grow legs and move on to land, their blood production moves to their bones. <laughs> Doesn't this sound a little bit like what's happened evolutionarily yeah. for humans, right? And, like, that's actually it, right? That's what we think or what experts now think happened a long time ago in the wow. first land vertebrates. In some of them, their blood-making cells wandered around, happened to find themselves inside a bone, and if that meant that their blood stayed healthier for longer, it's you know given them mm. an evolutionary edge, and it's just led to an entire lineage of animals with these little blood factories inside their <laughs> bones. I'm just curious as to how they shift, like from the tadpole to the frog. Do they go like, all right, stem cells, gather up, let's go, we're going yeah, to the I bone. Yeah, I think they, they migrate. <laughs> they they just like you know they just do. They just okay. migrate. <laughs> They just, you know, I I don't know what the signal is. I don't know if they've looked because you know a lot of this stuff is is relatively um, they're still figuring it out. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I just, yeah, true fact: <laughs> blood is made inside the bones, probably to protect from UV sunlight damage. And this probably is different between different types of animals based on their water versus non-water environment mm-hmm. and how much sunlight they get and also which direction the sunlight comes from. Zebrafish don't swim upside down. Yeah. If they did, <laughs> their umbrellas wouldn't work. Uh. I don't know. So, yeah, that's what I've got about blood and bones and also kidneys, I guess. But um, I mean, it's all connected, bones. right? <sighs> yeah. Crazy. Crazy. Crazy well, stuff. That's pretty crazy. We're going to get yeah. into a bit more crazy blood science maybe not that crazy we'll see (laughs) um but before that we've got a song this is the bones by maron morris You are listening to Radio Silence here on Radio Fodder. That was The Bones by Marin Morris. And today we are talking blood science. Catriona, what bloody interesting science have you got for us today? (laughs) I was waiting for that one to come out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I've got a um, bloody question for you. What's your blood type, Cade? I don't actually know. All right. Um, (laughs) To ruin your question, me neither. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. No, this is a thing that I'm like, I've had so many blood tests throughout my life, Mm. but I've never given blood because it's only recently become legal for me to do so. Um, Thanks, mad cow disease. So (laughs) I've never actually found out. Yeah. Um, Well, to be fair, I also had a lot of blood tests throughout my life, but only found out after giving blood mm, and then they tell you. Yeah. Um, They give you like a little temporary tattoo as well. Um, (laughs) Well, I'm allowed to give blood now, so I'm actually going to do that. We'll organise a date for it. Um, Yeah. Anyway. Yes, yes, yes. Um, back to the topic, blood, blood types. Um, so blood types or blood groups um, are based on the many molecules that are on the surface of our red blood cells that they vary between individuals. And the most commonly recognised of these are the ABO blood groups. Mm-hmm. So your A, B, O or AB. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also have RH antigens or, or recess, which is def- defined as like positive or negative. Mm-hmm. Um, and that comes after your ABO. So, so for example, I'm... O negative, so I don't mm-hmm. have the RH factor. Um, so what you might not know is that, all right, we have the ABO blood group, but there are actually 34 other blood group systems <laughs> oh, what? with more than 300 known variants. No, I did not know yeah. that. <laughs> I knew Neither there were more, I. but I didn't know there were that many. <laughs> oh, <laughs> there are a lot. Um, and essentially what it all comes down to, uh, well, I mentioned it's the molecules on our red blood cells mm-hmm. and it's classified by the antigens found on the surface of our red blood cells. And as an immunologist, 
Love antigens. You, you like your antigens. <laughs> I do. Um, but just for a brief definition, antigens are molecules. Most often they're proteins, but in this mm-hmm. case, it's it's also like the carbohydrates or the sugars attached to your proteins, um, and they're mm-hmm. capable of essentially provoking your immune system to attack. So, of course, we don't want to attack our own blood, <laughs> but mm-hmm. that is literally the definition of an antigen. Mm-hmm. Um, plus, we also have antibodies in our blood, and they're proteins that attack infectious things or Mm -hmm. other foreign bodies Um, and they're also produced by our white blood cells so our immune cells in our blood and so essentially the combination of antigens that you've got on the surface of your red blood cells Mm -hmm. um, but of course are ignored by your own immune system (laughs) (laughs) um, as well as what antibodies you have that makes up your blood group right right yeah I'll actually come back to the idea of attacking later. Okay. <laughs> um, I'll hold you to that. Yeah, well, <laughs> um, I'm an immunologist. Attacking. That's all about immunology. Um, but we, we all have a specific blood group, and that's inherited from your parents the same way you inherit any other trait. Mm-hmm. Um, and your blood group is determined by the presence or the absence of these specific antigens and antibodies that I talked about. So in terms of blood compatibility and things like that, ABO is the most important and the most relevant. So that's why, like, you would know, or, yep. you know, if you're donating blood. Or you probably more importantly, you if you're receiving blood. Yes, you especially <laughs> if you're receiving blood. Yes. <laughs> Although, like, I guess if you don't know, it's just like, all right, just Well, someone will know if you're receiving blood. You might not know if you're in the state that you need to receive blood. You might not be... Well, not necessarily. So there's okay. a universal donor and a universal True, acceptor. Actually, so yeah. um, O blood can be given to anyone. Mm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'll get into attacking on why that is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, if anything happens to the two of you, just get O blood. <laughs> okay, noted. <laughs> I'll donate to you. <laughs> Are you O? I am O. Are you O negative? Yes. Oh, there you go. There you Perfect. Go. Perfect. Universal donor. Universal donor. <laughs> Everyone loves my blood. <laughs> the Red Cross keeps calling me. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, so. The ABO classification comes down to four antigens Mm -hmm. and antibodies. So the A and the B antigens, so Mm -hmm. two antigens, Mm -hmm. and the anti-A and the anti-B antibodies. There's a lot of antis. (laughs) Oh, double (laughs) antibodies. So so let's, I'll omit the term antibodies Mm -hmm. for the purposes of this. So you've got A and B and anti-A and Mm. anti-B. So those two would attack. A and B. Yeah, yep, makes a sense. And Uncle A. Yeah. Auntie B <laughs> and Uncle B. Yep. Um, so essentially, if you've got blood group A, mm-hmm. it means that you have antigen A. You've got A on the yep. surface of your red blood cells. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we essentially have like immune cells and, and antibodies that attack anything that is not part of us. But mm-hmm. that's kind of the point of your immune system. I mean, I was going to say rude, but good on them, I yeah. guess. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably helpful. Well, yeah, you want your immune system to be able to attack anything that you might encounter yeah. in your life that's not you, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, which is a big problem when it comes to transplants, but, um, you know, yeah. whole separate issue. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the thing with blood group A because you've got A on the surface of your red blood cells, mm-hmm. you don't have anti-A because you don't want to attack your own yeah. blood. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. you do have anti-B mm. because you don't have B. Yeah. Um, whereas mm. blood group B, it's the opposite. So they've got B, B on the surface of their and blood. Anti-A. And Yeah, anti-A. Oh, got it. Blood group AB has mm-hmm. both A and B on the surface mm-hmm. of, of their blood cells. So they don't so have any of the they antis. They don't have antigens. They don't have antibodies uh, against them. Yeah. 
Too many aunties. <laughs> they don't have anything to yep. attack. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, that's why AB is known as the universal recipient because mm. you can get yeah. any blood. You don't have antibodies against any of it. <laughs> um, so what happens if you get something that you actually want to attack? Yeah, so... Do you still have soldiers? Yeah, well, okay, so blood group O, for example, you've got mm. no no A, no B. No antibodies. But you've yep. got no, no antigens. <laughs> I hate this. Yeah, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's confusing. I wish that so you've got none of those these better. <laughs> you, you haven't got those molecules on the surface of your red blood cells. Yep. You haven't got A or B. Yep. But you now have like fighting A, anti-A, yep. anti-B, yep. which means if you do receive blood mm-hmm. from A, B, or an AB person, mm-hmm. you're going to attack that blood. Yep. So that's that's a big big issue, and mm-hmm. that, that's why it's so important to you know match blood. Mm. Um, so O is a universal donor. I can give to anyone, but I can only receive from O. Otherwise, my blood's going to attack. Like, mm. yeah. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and when they attack, because the cool thing about antibodies in the immune system, the cool thing is that like they clump together. That's the point of antibodies. You make mm. things clump together yeah. as mm-hmm. a big target. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. like here, invader is here. <laughs> Flag. But you don't want that. With blood, like you don't want that happening in your blood because you no. get lots of clots and it's it's just it's nasty. It's bad. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that blood clots are not ideal. No, I guess no. they're good if you're stopping you from bleeding out. But yeah, yeah. If, if Hashtag not all blood clots. Yes. Okay, some are good. <laughs> I'm not going to cancel all of them. <laughs> um, and the way the way that you inherit this is that um, if it, it kind of makes sense that A and B are dominant because it's mm-hmm. you've either got it or you don't. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas O is recessive because you need both parents to be able to give you mm-hmm. the make nothing mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. instruction. Yep. Um, so, you know, it was kind of funny. My mum told me that um, she was AB at one point, and now uh, I'm just like, that now that I know blood type, now I know my blood type. I'm like, either you're not AB or you're not my mum. Because <laughs> <laughs> she could mm. only pass on A or B. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, crazy. But um, rhesus factor, so your plus or minus is a very um, similar thing. Um, and rhesus factor is important when it comes to pregnancy. So mm-hmm. mothers mm-hmm. who give birth to a baby that is RH positive, but they're RH negative mm-hmm. in their first pregnancy. Now in the actual pregnancy, there's no problem because mm-hmm. the blood doesn't mix, mm-hmm. the baby's blood and mm-hmm. her blood. But when she gives birth... Mm, you get the mixing, and so she starts to make all these antibodies mixture. that can fight. Uh, so yep. it's not a problem until the second or a later pregnancy, right? Mm. Um, because you've got because now you've got antibodies that will attack your child, well, your baby's blood. Um, so uh, this is really important for testing early on in pregnancy because mm-hmm. if if a if a mother is Rh positive, you need to make sure that you are preventing her yeah. from making. These antibodies. Say, what do mm. you do in that scenario? Can you take a you medication? Yeah, or like, yeah, there are yeah, medications okay. that you can you can take to prevent not the like formation a, of them. I was going to say abort mission situation, yeah. <laughs> uh, which double meaning of that word, I guess. But um, yeah, yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> um, so then the main blood groups, but there's also like the MNS blood group antigens, and they were discovered in the 1920s mm-hmm. um, by the same scientist who actually discovered ABO. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's kind of a more complex blood group system found on um, the most important structural proteins of the surface of red mm-hmm. blood cells. So like A and B, they don't really do much for us. They're mm-hmm. just, they're there and they're important yeah. for us to, to know about. Um, but M, N and S, like they actually matter for, okay. the, for the structure, but mm-hmm. we don't care so much about them in terms of donating blood. It doesn't blood. cause as many problems if you get the wrong. Yeah. Okay. 
There's also like the uppercase S, lowercase S variants, um, and they're named <laughs> after Sydney because the blood group was discovered in Sydney. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I mean, look, there are, have been sillier naming conventions in science. Yeah. <laughs> um, Shout and out this, Pikachu protein. Hmm. Uh, so this blood group is signified by a particular type of molecule on red blood cells that's a target for malaria, like for the parasite malaria, um, hmm. or malaria parasite. Mm-hmm. Um, and interestingly, some people from Africa don't have these molecules on their surface because that makes them less likely to contract oh. malaria because it's a target. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, you huh. know, it's quite beneficial to yeah. not have it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and similarly, Duffy is another blood group. Oh, my um, God. Also <laughs> associated with infection by another malaria parasite. So mm-hmm. when you've got not got the protein, the cells are resistant to infection. And so the protein is absent from the blood cells of 90% of sub-Saharan Africans. And that gives them malaria resistant, well, mm. particular resistance to one particular malaria parasite. Right. But, you know, still. Still. Yeah. Wouldn't say no. <laughs> yeah. So how do we discover all these blood groups? It's... You know, when you give blood to someone and, and it realize goes wrong. Yeah, and it goes wrong. So that's literally how all of these blood groups have yep, been yep, yep. identified. So yeah, I think it's really, really interesting to think about, you know, mm. how do you give blood to someone else safely and like mm. all these blood mm-hmm. groups to consider, but really we only think about ABO most yep. of the time. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, there's so much in our blood. You've just like reignited my curiosity about what my blood type is now. <laughs> I remember really wanting to know for a while and just like being like, well, I can't know or I don't know. How do you find out? I guess you go give blood. Note yeah. to self, go give blood. Note to all of our <laughs> listeners, if you're allowed to, go donate blood. Um, yeah. Awesome. Bloody cool. <laughs> Bloody great. Blood. Now, stopping with the, the blood, <laughs> blood jokes now. Um Awesome. Well, I'm going to take us into our next song then, which is In My Blood by Shawn Mendes. Welcome back to Radio Silence on Radio Fodder, where we're bringing science into focus. And today we're diving into blood. That was In My Blood by Shawn <laughs> Mendes. We're Shawn not Mendes. diving into blood for <laughs> hygiene reasons. <laughs> Don't dive into blood. Anyway, back to you. Well, taking, taking a... <laughs> Look at blood. <laughs> we are discussing um, some blood science today. <laughs> Kai has a story. Just go, all right, Kai. All right, all right. <laughs> Kai so what happens when you dive into blood? It, it splashes everywhere. And I'm going to be talking about blood spatter analysis or also called blood stain pattern analysis. Immaculate segue. That's <laughs> great. Yeah, and we, if you watched enough CSI, you would have seen that this happens you know, forensic investigators use blood stain pattern analysis to gather information about crime scenes where, you know, there was mm-hmm. blood, maybe someone was shot or hit by a, a blunt instrument or something. You know, blood Standard goes everywhere. Things. Standard <laughs> crime scene sort of stuff. Standard you know, we all know stuff. how it goes. Um, but it's really cool that you can actually infer a lot of information from what happened at the crime scene based mm. on where the blood ends up. Mm-hmm. Forensic science is amazing. Truly. Yeah, and you know, one of the the most obvious sort of ways is the distribution of droplets of blood can be used to determine where they came from. So, one thing is that the shape of the droplet can help you figure out which angle it hit a surface. So, like a round droplet probably mm-hmm. fell straight down, mm-hmm. it makes like a circle mm-hmm. splat, and a one that's more like an oval shape 
is going to have come on an angle mm. and the long like the long axis of the oval yeah. is going to be the direction that the blood came from so when it hits the surface it sort of smears out into an oval shape a little bit i love that you know we've given you a biology topic as a physicist and you've gone all right let's talk about physics oh yeah i definitely <laughs> searched like physics of blood bang yeah, blood spatter analysis let's it. go like, it makes sense <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah we no. just don't think about it but yeah no that's yeah sense. tell really us more <laughs> please yeah um so the angle that you can you can figure out the angle that the blood was traveling when it hit the surface and you can use that to like trace back where all the blood came from. And mm-hmm. if you imagine like you've got like a whole spray of blood spatters and you can trace each one of them back, you like draw straight lines from where they mm. came from and you can like pinpoint the position that say the victim was standing when they got shot or something. Mm. And it's it's yeah as I said, really useful for reconstructing the crime scene. Yeah, it's like, I don't know, the standard example of that that pops into my mind that I feel like is a trope I've seen in in many a thing is like, oh, the person, like situations that look like they were a suicide or they set up to look like Mm. a suicide, you're like, oh, he can't have shot himself because the angle of the gunshot means that he had to have been shot from like, or the angle of the blood splatters means he had to be shot from like this angle, which you can't hold a gun comfortably Mm. like that yourself, so it must have been a murder. (gasps) Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. It's cool that that's real. <laughs> like, that that's an actual thing. You can look at blood splatters and be like, oh, no, the angle is this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, un- like, like most things in science, it gets a little bit more complicated than, mm. than just the angles. And there's a, as we said before, it's all physics, and there's a lot of, like, quite complicated physics going on here because mm-hmm. you can't just draw straight lines from where the blood came from because, you know, blood travels in like when you throw an object it doesn't go in a straight line it goes like a parabolic trajectory as because of gravity so the if you're trying to trace it you can like trace it back to a place on the floor pretty well like Mm. oh the victim was standing over there Mm -hmm. but if you want to know whether they were standing up or sitting down when they got shot for example Mm. then you you need a little bit more analysis to actually figure that out so you need Mm -hmm. to take into account things like gravity things like air resistance Mm. and Blood is a pretty complicated fluid. It's not just water. It's got a whole bunch of other mm. cells and stuff in it. Maybe and just like temperature, like room temperature, room temperature. And stuff would affect. And even things like how, like the density of blood cells. Yeah. So if, if you Was the person to- hydrated or dehydrated <laughs> when they got killed? Like- yeah, it's all, all important stuff. So yeah, it makes the like blood spatter analysis more complicated than people sort of once thought, which may actually cast into a doubt a few mm. like oh, no. historic convictions mm. so Heck. It, and it kind of goes right. both ways like you're just the, like bringing up all the contentious stuff <laughs> yeah i know today's today's gossip with uh, kai <laughs> yeah so um various cases may where someone's being convicted of being guilty based on blood spatter evidence may the, the evidence may not be as strong as it was originally thought because mm. they may not have taken into account the you know complexities of the way that blood moves through the air and things like that and vice versa we might have had people who committed the crimes but got away with it because we didn't have enough evidence because the the blood spatter analysis was inconclusive so it's really important that you know forensic analysts are able to get this right and you heard it here get it right (laughs) get it right (laughs) guys it's it's actually unfortunate that the sort of more scientific side rather than the applied side of forensic analysis has kind of, you know, said shame on you to all the forensic analysts out there that they're not really trained well enough or like trained in the right 
ways of analysing blood spatter mm. and that this is a big problem if we're trying to use this to convict people of crimes. So there's people out there who are trying to, um, you know, make the, the, the science of blood spatter analysis more rigorous so that we've got a bit more scientific backing to make this, you know, something we can really rely upon mm -hmm. in court. And it's not just blood spatter analysis. Apparently, a lot of forensic science is a little bit iffy on the yeah. rigorous side. Oh, I think really, really only they say it's only like DNA analysis. One of the worst sciences to not be rigorous, though, if you're using yeah. it to convict people. Mm. Surely it's like okay. yeah, which I guess maybe explains why sometimes you're like, oh, they had all this evidence. Why can't they convict mm. them? And it's like, well, it's a bit more complicated because the evidence is not as cut and dry as, as we might. Like as to think. TV shows like to yeah. lead us to believe because <laughs> yeah. we love a good murder mystery that's wrapped up neatly <laughs> by the end of the episode. Yeah. So, like, with the exception of maybe DNA mm -hmm. analysis, which is you know, pretty conclusive, yeah. Um, yeah, a lot of forensic techniques, including, like, fingerprints and, mm. you know, hair and fibre matching and things like that, they're not quite as rigorous as we'd like yeah, them to okay. be. But that's, like... It's not all bad because now we've got scientists who are trying to find ways to make these techniques better. And particularly on the blood spatter analysis, they're doing a whole lot of experiments mm -hmm. and trying to match experiment to theory and like mm -hmm. mathematical models and things. Oh, really? So they're trying to model how you know, a blood droplet travels through the air at this room temperature when the person's dehydrated. I just want to <laughs> see the labs where they're just like shooting blood and are they just like, are they doing, you know, are they running simulations here or are they like actually shooting they're doing blood both. and like measuring it, right? And and I just want to see the blood splattered room. So they're, they're running <laughs> simulations to see, okay, what do we expect to happen? Mm. And then they've got to do the experiment. So yeah, like, okay. Yeah, make sure that, yeah. We've simulated what happens when someone gets shot with this particular type of gun mm. at this range, blah, blah, blah. Now we've got to go get a guy off the street and shoot him, see what happens. Well, they, they don't do that because that would be bad for that guy. a little hard to get approved, I would imagine. But they do shoot blood-filled sponges. Well, I was thinking <laughs> like water balloons, so there we yeah, go. Yeah, that's the other one. So, like, um, because apparently different you know, different tissues and also different, like, whether a bullet goes in or out because blood comes out both holes... <sighs> And it behaves in a quite a different way. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they're they're in the lab shooting bags of blood. Or, over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you look at like photos from papers, and it's just like a bag of blood hanging up on a wooden frame, and they've got a gun. And oh my gosh! <laughs> Incredible. So yeah, wouldn't you like to be one of those forensic scientists? <sighs> Kind of, yeah, <laughs> actually. I feel like <laughs> you'd blow off fun. a lot of steam. Like, I don't know, some yeah. people go to a shooting range after work to blow off steam. Some people go to the lab. Like, <laughs> you know, I don't know. Yeah, so, um, you know, th those scientists are really doing the, the work that needs to be done to make blood spatter analysis a lot more rigorous and mm. hopefully in future, you know, much more useful for convicting or acquitting people mm. of crimes. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. Bloody amazing. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, hopefully you've learned lots during this episode and it wasn't all in vain. <laughs> um, so that wraps up our episode all about blood. But remember that you can catch all of our previous episodes anywhere that you catch your podcasts and you can follow us on Twitter at Radio Silence. So to play us out, this is Blood to Bruise by Rat Hammock and uh, be positive, everyone. <laughs> Hey.